So a very well, warm welcome to Invest Africa's 2023 Regional Outlook for North Africa. My name is Shaheen Shamsabadi from FTI Consulting, and I will be the moderator for today's panel. Joining me are our panelists, uh, Nabil Frigg, Managing, Managing Director and Head of Financial Institutions Africa and Asia from British Arab Commercial Bank, and Hakim Berra, who's the lead lawyer for the Africa desk of Clyde & Co. The regional investment outlooks have become a recurring event in Invest Africa's annual event program, and the North Africa outlook is the newest region covered as part of the series and is in its third year running today. A few housekeeping points before the webinar begins. Following the panel discussion, there will be an opportunity for questions from the audience, so please use the Q&A function provided by Zoom to submit your questions. The webinar is being recorded and the recording will be made available for Invest Africa members following the session. For those of you who are joining us, you will know that the region of North Africa on the continent plays an important role as a crossroads to not only other African countries, but also the wider Mediterranean region, as well as continental Europe and the Middle East. Rich in natural resources with a growing population, North Africa presents a number of economic opportunities. Geopolitics and other local factors, however, can have and continue to present obstacles, reducing investor confidence. Nonetheless, North Africa is in some places undergoing a transformation that could make it a more attractive destination for investments, industrialization, and forming strategic energy partnerships. In today's discussion, I trust that the points raised by our panelists will shed light on these matters. So jumping straight into it, um, Nabil, Nabil what are the opportunities and challenges uh, of North Africa, particularly for the second and fourth largest economies on the continent, in this case, Egypt and Africa? Egypt and Algeria, apologies. No problem. Thank you. Um, hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to this uh, very interesting and challenging panel, also for the panelists. Uh, yes, you mentioned uh, North Africa and within North Africa, Algeria and Egypt as being the second and fourth largest economies in Africa. Uh, both countries enjoy a strategic geographical position, but also enjoys a political weight uh, in the region. Uh, Egypt uh, as a link between North Africa and the Middle East and Algeria as a also future link between Europe and Africa. Uh, as you may know, Algeria, uh, since now the creation of South Sudan, Algeria is now the largest country uh, in Africa and playing a major role, a major bridge role between Africa and Europe, not only in terms of being a major gas supplier, thanks to the largest company in Africa, Sonatrak, we'll talk about it probably later. It also presents several opportunities for domestic and uh, international investors. Egypt is, of course, a major economic player and also political player and, uh, and also guarantor of the stability in the, in the Middle East even if we see some stability currently. However, I think Egypt is, is really important. It's also a link between North Africa and Asia. And it is meanwhile becoming one of the largest exporter in the Middle East. And I've seen the numbers yesterday, 60 billion uh, for 22, which is really um, a, 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 a good number. Uh, these countries have, of course, challenges. Uh, Egypt is currently facing uh, some economic uh, challenges in order to maintain a social stability and peace 
I think the one of the major challenges is the growing, uh, so the important demography there. We, we are over 110 million now currently. And as you know, just recently, the Egyptian pounds has lost about 17% of its value against the dollar in the past three weeks and 33% since October. Unfortunately, this is a painful medicine they need and which has been subscribed by, uh, by the IMF. Uh, it is currently a, uh, they have some big challenges, as I said. Uh, Algeria is, the challenges of Algeria is because the country has been relying for the last 40, uh, 40 years exclusively on the export of energy. Uh, the country has a lack of reforms and reforms are needed to enhance the economy and make it more efficient. Uh, it will take time. However, uh, leaving this country uh, being dependent on the oil price and the gas price, uh, we don't think this is a, a, a good approach. And we hope that the country is going to uh, adopt uh, some 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 reforms reforms that really uh, can liberate the real potential of the country. Thank you, Nibir. So if we stay with you on this point. Could you elaborate on the complementarities of the different economies in North Africa beyond just the two that we've spoken about as well? Yeah. Um, thanks. I think I think there was an idea initially of a, a political Grand Maghreb. They called it which included Tunisia, Morocco, uh, and Algeria, adding also Libya and Mauritania as, as uh, for an economic integration uh, in the region, excluding Egypt, uh, because they are not part of the Maghreb, uh, the big Maghreb. And by the way, there's an anecdote to say, what is, in terms of North Africa, uh, where is the Middle East starting? The Middle East starting where you stop eating couscous. This is one of the <laughs> anecdotes you have. Um, so this idea was good so far that it would enhance really the uh, the synergies of the economies of the five countries in terms of manufacturing, energy production, energy transport, uh, and of course services. Uh, the reality today is different. You have some political tensions. If you look after the, you know, after South Korea, North Korea, Morocco, and Algeria, the only. <laughs> Uh, let's say borders that are closed uh, because of uh, different, uh, let's say, issues, and this is a pity because both countries are very complementary in terms of uh, of of of, um, of economies. And you had, of course, during the Libyan conflict, some influence from the eastern side, from the western side, which is bad. However, there's still I not only a dream, there's still a vision, I think, in all these countries uh, to really uh, exploit the synergies that are given. And there is a start, I think, on a private basis, probably not on the legal and the political basis. And I think and we hope that this will take place so that we have, before we have this free zone, uh, let's say region, what we have in Africa, it will be a North African one. And we hope that this, this will materialize in the interest of all the countries. Thank you, Nabil. So, Akeem, Nabil's talked about some of the complementarities between the two and the way that things have, have kind of been changing over time. Do you see specific sectors growing in the region, um, particularly? And if you could give some examples, that would be really helpful as well. Thank you, Shane, and uh, welcome everyone. Yeah, um, as a general point of view, I see that the, the region is very active, uh, even, even though the COVID hits and, uh, and before the COVID, the spring, uh, the Arab Spring um, uh, movement um, 
has hit um, the countries, the different countries of North Africa, and specifically the migrant countries, there's still uh, uh, an active economy. Um, and even if there is geopolitical issues, there is still active economy. I would say in Algeria, oil and gas will always be the first activity, thanks to the, one of the first companies in Africa, uh, which is Sonatrach. And, um, and specifically in the gas sector with what uh, um, we are experiencing with the uh, Ukraine-Russia uh, conflict. Um, in terms of oil and gas activity, we can mention the, the recent contract signed between ENI, the, the Italian company, and Sonatrach, and the recent visit uh, of Miss Meloni in Algeria, uh, and the meeting between her and, uh, and, and the President Tebboune. Um, however, we can note that sectors as environment, which are dire dire directly linked to oil and gas sectors, uh, technology, mines, agriculture, and tourists are very uh, regarding by the government as a priority to invest in. Um, we can mention the new investment law that specifies that these sectors will benefit from uh, incentives. And we notice it in the region with new independent players, especially in the energy and power sector. Um, I, I would like to mention an example. Uh, coming from the Middle East, actually, uh, MAE Power Company has achieved in Africa uh, several investments, a significant investment in renewable uh, sector. Um, their main playground are, ju just talking about North Africa, their main playground are Morocco, Tunisia, and uh, Egypt. Uh, they have developed uh, solar energy infrastructures, and they are still looking at the North Africa as a, a, a big part of their investments. Uh, for them, Morocco is a significant market, and they want to invest uh, more in Morocco. They are investing in, in Tunisia in um, 100 megawatt uh, solar project. They are investing as well in Egypt. Um, so these activities uh, launch a sign to the investors that there is a lot of sectors to, um, to develop in, in Africa generally, but in North Africa in particular, and not only in the, let's say, the strategic sectors. Uh, tech, for example, is one of the sectors that is growing in the region. And from my experience, I noticed that a lot of uh, startup companies um, um, has been launched in, uh, in Algeria, for example, or in, uh, in Morocco. Um, if, if you want to mention other sectors that are growing across the region, and thanks to the North Africa print, we have the banking sectors with uh, Moroccan banks. Uh, that are spreading all over the, the, the continent, and they are very uh, strong in the continent, in, in, um, in the Francophone region of the continent. Uh, we have insurance activities also that are seen as uh, a big sector to develop. And of course, the hospitality sector, um, which is one of the first in Morocco. Uh, we can mention as well Egypt. And Algeria is looking at expanding uh, it's tourism activity because the tourism activity, for example, in Algeria is very poor compared to the other countries in North Africa. But they realize that and they are working on uh, several projects to make uh, Algeria more attractive um, for, for, for the tourism sector. Of course, Algeria doesn't have the same history as the, the, the other countries. Uh, during a long period of time, Algeria has been 
um, under uh, attack terrorists, which has uh, slowed down drastically uh, the tourism sector and even some of the foreign investments. So you spoke about investment law, and I think that obviously capitalizing on your experience and your background, if we look at the legal frameworks, what are the key legal considerations that people should know about doing business in North Africa? And if you can give us some examples and breakdown as well. Yeah, uh, first of all, I would say that being an investor is by consequence, being an employer in North Africa. So it requests to know uh, some, some key considerations. First of all, uh, I'm not talking only about legal, but more about cultural. It's a challenging market. There is a cultural difference. And uh, you have to understand that the communicative approach is the, is the best way, actually, to, uh, to grow uh, in North Africa. Patience and training are, as well, key consideration uh, to involve in your business plan uh, when you want to approach the market. In terms of pure legal consideration, an investor must be advised on, of course, uh, investment law, uh, foreign exchange control regulation, employment legislation, and tax. Um, just to give an example about the foreign exchange control regulation, um, in Algeria, for example, today, and in some of the countries in North Africa, transfer of round or transfer of, of dividends are obviously uh, authorized. But you need to know how to do it. Uh, you need to know how the, the practical aspects of transferring the fund. Um, and this is something that since I would say 2007, we have experience with some of the investors on the ground. Um, it's not that it has been impossible to transfer the fund, but most of the time it has been very difficult to, to transfer the fund. Um, not only because of the legal system, as soon as you have your file uh, ready, it goes to the central bank and you have sometimes you have to wait because there is in some countries you have a, an issue with the currency, uh, an issue with the change reserve. Uh, sometimes there are some um, government agreements um, that are not very well interpreted uh, or implemented by the administration. So you have to be there and explain how it works. Uh, we had this kind of issues for some of our clients and we have been able to discuss with the central bank and to make them understand that the, the transfer requested was perfectly um, compliant with the agreements. So there is, there is a, a sort of education uh, to do bo on both sides, investor side and local side, uh, just to make sure that the foreign investment um, has a positive outcome uh, when it's done. If, if we look at the employment legislation, for example, because you have to, of course, you have to hire people, you have to work with people, you have to manage with people. So you need to understand, I mean, the investor and, and by consequence, the employer need to understand how it works, how the, the legislation locally works, how can you manage the different contract um, because investors are coming from different countries, different legal system. And sometimes as a legal advisor, we have to uh, educate them on how, how does it work in Algeria or in Morocco or in Tunisia uh, regarding employment contract, uh, employment relationship, 
um, and what you can do and not, and what are the pros and cons uh, to invest in the country. Um, so there, there is specification about each country. Um, the, the legal consideration are important, but I will say that the cultural um, and um, yeah, the cultural uh, consideration are far more important to invest in those countries. But Hakim, if we take an example of Algeria, which is a country that's transforming, what is updating and changing in terms of regulations and policies there that might be worth you know noting? And are we likely going to see similar changes across that region as well? Yeah, so it's interesting because since last summer, uh, we have some interesting uh, new updates. Uh, for example, you have a, a new investment law or, uh, that has been published uh, on July 2022, the law 2218, uh, with the perspective to develop priority activity sectors, uh, promote natural resources and local raw materials, promote the technology transfer and develop innovation and the knowledge economy, and generalize the use of new technologies and, and boost the creation of sustainable jobs and promote the competence of human resources. I think that the ambition of this structuring act was to offer investor legal framework uh, conducive to encouraging investment by providing facilitation and stability solution required for their deployment uh, in a context of strong international competition in terms of public policies and investment attractiveness. So what we have noticed is that from the Algerian government, they, they want to make uh, Algeria more attractive for investors specifically because to, since 2009, uh, an investor was obliged to, uh, um, to include a local partner for 51% of the shares, uh, which is not the case today. Uh, it has changed with the, the recent uh, updates in all sectors except the strategic sectors. So the strategic, the strategic sorry, sectors um, are still under the um, uh, the, the former provisions of, of investment law. So some key points um, could be mentioned uh, from the new investment law 2218. Um, reiteration of the principle of freedom of transfer in foreign currency, uh, creation of a stability clause whereby the investors will be guaranteed that new rules introduced in the future further to amendments or repeals of clauses will not be applied unless it's a request. Um, in the employment sectors in Algeria, uh, we can mention that the employment relationship are regulated by the law 9011. Um, this law has been recently completed by the law 2216 dated 20 July 2022, uh, which I would name the entrepreneurial law. Um, it's interesting because this law, this law allows actually the employees to take a leave for a maximum of one, uh, one year um, with the possibility to extend it to six months. So an overall period of 18 months um, to take a leave, not to go on holidays, but to create a project, okay? To, to, to set up a company, to have uh, something to do with his or her activity. Um, you have some conditions, of course, to fulfill uh, and the executive decree uh, dated 19th October 2022 
specify the condition of the implementation of the entrepreneurial law. So one time in his or her career, an employee in Nigeria, aged below 55 years old, justifying of an employment contract with at least three years seniority in the company, can request his or her employer to benefit from an entrepreneurial leave or maximum period of one year, as mentioned, which subjects to justification can be extended to six months. And just after that, and recently in December, uh, 18th of December 2022, the ECO was the law 2223 regarding auto-entrepreneur. And the last finance law 2023 has introduced a new tax regime for, for the auto-entrepreneur activity. Submitting this activity to a single flat tax rate of 5% when the turnover exceeds 5 million dirham, dinar, sorry, Algerian dinar. So what can we say about that? These measures illustrate the state's desire to encourage efforts relating to entrepreneurship and the emergence of digital economy providing for an incentive tax system for the resulting activities. So um, I'm, I'm really glad that we have this uh, this, this kind of provision in Algeria, actually. In Morocco, uh, this auto-entrepreneur legislation uh, has been implemented in 2015, uh, if I'm not wrong. And it comes now in, in Algeria. Knowing the, knowing the, the region, for me, it's, it's perfectly natural for the government to have um, proposed that kind of initiative uh, to the Algerian employees or to, to, to the people who work in Algeria. And this is in line with the culture uh, of the country. Um, and it's a good sign, actually. It's a good sign for the young generation. It's a good sign for uh, everyone saying that, you know, you, you, can, you can create in Algeria, actually. Uh, and I know some of the entrepreneurs that, that did that. And they are very successful in the country and outside the country as well. Uh, we can mention very well-known uh, companies as Cevital or or the, the, the Condor Group. Um, but we can also, uh, in the tech industry, mention um, Temtem One, uh, which is like the, the Uber or, or, or Karim uh, app uh, in Algeria, uh, which is very uh, famous outside of Algeria uh, in the Algerian community. So it, it means that it's possible to create internally and, um, and the government uh, for me, has given a sign to the population to say, hey, look, you can also create here internally. Don't, you, you don't have to go outside and, and search for, for new creation. So this is very positive legislation that have been implemented the last six months in Algeria. Well, thank you. I just want to re remind everybody, please use the Q&A function and, and we will get to those questions afterwards. Um, Naveel, returning to you, I mean, we're talking about some specifics and, and some kind of on the ground country uh, examples, but in general, how do you view North Africa being able to contribute to, um, you know, promising growth and, and the kind of the dynamic, the dyna dynamicism that we're seeing in the continent as a whole? And do you think that the region will play a very active role or, or a significant role in like a future um, African free zone? Yeah, uh, thanks. It's really a very complex question that is, I think, good because, as you know, North Africa is part 
fully part of the African continent. As you know, in the past, North Africa has tried to get some, let's say, more enhanced relationship to Europe, but uh, like Turkey, by the way, so they realized they have to count on their own and then the continents. And we are seeing this uh, because of the, uh, let's say, the natural ties and the historical, the common history between North Africa and, uh, and Sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, and they share often the same language, which is, which is really important. And so culturally uh, have sometimes the same basis, even, even if it's very diversified. Do not forget that the total of the uh, GDP in North Africa makes up 25% of the total continent GDP. Uh, because on the other side, you have a gigant like uh, Nigeria and South Africa, of course. Um, as Hakim mentioned in the past, and we are very active, our bank uh, as being a North African bank, because our shareholders are Libyan, Algerian, Moroccan. Um, we are very active in Africa. And we see the Moroccan, just to give you a number, that illustrate you know, the coming role of North Africa in Sub-Sahara. But also, Sub-Sahara is coming also to North Africa, by the way. It's a vice versa. It's a win-win stuff. If you look at South Africa, if you look also after some, some African bank now deploying their, their branches also in North Africa. Um, just as an example, what Hakim mentioned, if you look at Francophone Africa, market share-wise, Morocco, in terms of assets, bank assets, Morocco is having 30% of market share against France with 15%, which is really surprising. Uh, to see North Africa has a lot of interest. As you know, in the past, Gaddafi had some visions uh, regarding um, opening the markets for, for Libya in, in, in Africa. And now Libya, we hope that there is a stabilization there and uh, more... Uh, political, uh, let's say, convergence in order to resume these activities. Egypt is going to do the same. Uh, I'm sure the Africa, the new Africa free zone will, of course, accelerate the trade uh, between North and uh, Sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, probably two things, two concrete examples of how, uh, let's say, North Africa can, can contribute or can, let's say, uh, stop these obstacles used to be in the past. If 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 I take a, a very simple example, where you have large uh, oil refineries in Western Africa who import oil from traders, uh, from global traders, and the same traders are buying the same oil from North Africa. It remembers me the time I, I belong to the generation where when going from Algiers to Abidjan, we used to take Air France to Paris and then from Paris to Abidjan. And now you have, fortunately, decent companies uh, that are really uh, bringing, uh, let's say, in place an integration of, uh, of all this uh, fly network in, in Africa. And the same should happen also with, uh, uh, with, with, with the trade, uh, with, with, with everything in Africa. So I think... Uh, this will uh, give more confidence to the African economies. However, it's a long way. Uh, as, as Hakim, he mentioned, I mean, bureaucracy is a, is a job. I think it's, it's, a, it's a big obstacle, but not, also, uh, not, not only, not only uh, a bureaucracy. I think uh, the key thing here, before we go for a free zone, and I'm not talking about uh, European, uh, uh, something s s similar to European Union. I think governance is a key here. 
I think once we have a good governance in place for all the countries, then we can go for more transparency of the markets and then we could put in place the, the laws that will allow North Africa to be one of the largest models in uh, for, for, for the Africa free zone and be also a winner, but also a giver to the uh, sub-Saharan uh, African region. So staying on that point, Nivea, do you think that North Africa could serve as the main gate or the primary gate into the African continent as, as kind of an entryway point? Uh, I think I think North Africa will be part of, I probably I see uh, four main hubs or main gates to Africa from you know outside of Africa. If I look at South Africa, for example, which is really a power, it could be a gate from the south. In the Eastern uh, Africa, you will have Kenya and Tanzania, you know, uh, even being an extension of the Silk Road in the past, I see it, for example, in the Eastern Africa. And in the West, I see uh, probably Francophone Africa, but however, Nigeria as well. Nigeria is becoming a gigant now. Nigeria is really, uh, it is the largest uh, economy in Africa and it has, it was to say, I'm sure they will uh, have a political stability. We are going to see the elections there. So North Africa has only an advantage probably is probably the proximity uh, to Europe. If you look at Gibraltar and uh, probably a lot of people, they don't know that uh, between Palma, Mallorca and Algiers are only 210 kilometers and the distance to Marseille is only 700 kilometers. So I think, um, yes, uh, North Africa has an advantage, but it will be one of the gates, but not the main gates, probably, in order to be realistic, yeah. Thank you, David. And Hakim, do you have any views on North Africa being a gateway into the African continent? Hakim, we've got you on mute. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Shane. Thank you very much. Yeah, I think uh, I agree with uh, Nabil on this one. I think it will be one of the main gate, not not the main gate, not the principal one, but one of the main gate. When you look at the geography first, you know it covers southern Europe and Europe generally, uh, Middle East. Uh, when you look at Egypt uh, and Libya, and uh, at some point uh, we are facing U.S. Uh, with Morocco on the Atlantic side, so it's covering a large part of the globe. Uh, culturally, it's very uh, close to Middle East and, and Europe, uh, if you look at it. And they are very active everywhere. You have entrepreneurs coming from those regions who invest in Europe, who invest in US, who invest in Middle East. So for sure, uh, North African countries, they, they, I'm sure they already play a role in the continent, uh, a very important role. And for sure, they will play uh, a further role in the continent uh, as a gate, but also as, um, let's say, as a hub as well to develop uh, everything in sub-Saharan countries, for example, or Francophone countries. Yeah. Thank you. I think one of the things that's emerged is, is clearly the energy relationship between North Africa and Europe. And on, on that point, Nabil, I wanted to I know you're quite interested in energy affairs and, and things related to energy. Um, are Algeria and Egypt in, an, in, a, in a position where they'd be able to replace Russia as a gas trading partner, energy trading partner, or at least alleviate the situation? And if we are going to go on that, then on, on a localized level, 
are the local players in that space or Sonotrack, the Algerian state-owned um, energy company, able to be reliable partners for Europe in, 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 in addressing the issues? Uh, probably let's talk. Uh, thank you for this question. I think, I think in terms of being reliable or not, I think let's put it uh, before we talk about replacement, potential replacement of Russian gas supply because of the events. I think Sonatrack just positions Sonatrack as being the uh, number five gas exporting company in the world. Uh, they have been always reliable. Uh, I think it's uh, even during the decades in the 90s, where you remember we had a uh, terrorist attacks also on the gas pipelines, etc. I think they have been already, they supplied always, I think that was the company that has been always uh, running uh, without any obstacles. And uh, I think they will. They are proving uh, that they are realizing partners. I don't know to elaborate on the big numbers, but just Spain is dependent on Algeria for 30% despite the uh, the dispute they have currently. Uh, France is relying on them. Italy, as, as Hakim uh, mentioned, the prime minister was yesterday in Algeria and they have a, a, a good agreement uh, because they're very smart and they look at the gas because they see Algeria more reliable than some partners uh, in, 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 in Europe. Um, so the reliability is there. However, uh, coming now to your question with the replacement of the Russian supply, uh, the response is no, just for a simple reason. Uh, Europe is importing 40% of gas from Russia and 10% from Algeria. Uh, the current, let's say, capacities, uh, if you look at Egypt, they are really, they are only 20% of the Algerian uh, uh, let's say amount of gas uh, they produce and export mainly, but they need it, of course, for the for the for the for the um, uh, domestic uh, market, of course. Because just to 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 give you a picture, gas penetration in Algeria is ninety five percent. So in terms of infrastructure for the domestic market, they are excellent through the Sonel Gas as well, which is also an international company. So if you look at 40% from, from Russia and 10%, so Algeria has the transport capacity. So they have they still have room because as you know, there are four gas pipelines going there, two going via Morocco, Spain, one directly to Spain, and the other one is going via Sicilia, and the other, the other one is going via Tunisia to, uh, uh, to, to Italy. Uh, so there are capacity in terms of transport, but however, in terms of uh, production, even if the proven reserves are huge, uh, Sonatrack has now and have a plan to invest a billion of dollars. Uh, don't have the exact number, but I know that two-digit numbers in order to enhance the first the efficiency of the of the production and uh, liquefaction of gas, uh, and also. Uh, going for more exploration in partnership with with major players in gas, so they're not there to replace the uh, the Russian. And the, the EU knows about this, so they have they're trying to increase their production, but under a certain limit. There are no two alternatives now. Currently, interesting alternative to try to contribute more to the energy demand of, of, of Europe. It was interesting yesterday, as Hakim mentioned, the Prime Minister from Italy signed an agreement with the Algerian government in uh, getting some power from Algeria. So Algeria is trying now to transform the gas they have 
into uh, power in order to export more electricity to uh, uh, to Europe, which is also a good alternative because they add value uh, to their products on one side. Uh, on the other side, there are also discussion for NOLD project to have a partnership with Nigeria with the gas pipeline from Nigeria through Niger through Algeria in order to have to coordinate the supply uh, to Europe. Uh, again, um, Sonatrach is reliable, I'm sure, like NOC even in Libya is also a major player, uh, like EGPC in Egypt. Uh, however, a replacement of the huge uh, offer of Russian won't be possible for the time being. Thank you, Nabil. I wanted to go to some of the questions that are that are coming through the Q&A function, because some of them are actually quite interesting. Um, obviously, we know that Morocco and Egypt are attracting the most FDI right now in, in North Africa. Um, can you give some insights, uh, either you, Nabil, or you, Hakim, on um, what are kind of the future strengths of, of Morocco and Egypt in terms of attracting uh, investments? And what are some of the challenges that you're seeing some businesses and, and investors are facing? Yeah, uh, thank you, Shane. Yeah, indeed, Morocco has been always, I think, very attractive. And um, more recently, thanks to some free zone, uh, like the one that you have in Tangier or the one that you have in Casablanca, the Casablanca Financial City, um, it, has, it has attracted more and more investors uh, due to their, I think, to their um, close, let's say, because they are close to Europe also. And because I would say from the investors, what we hear from them is that they, they find um, a secure environment uh, in terms of legal, financial, um, even employment. Um, so from my, what I see actually with some of our clients and, and, and contacts is that they always target Morocco as a, a first gate mm -hmm. for them to enter Africa, African market. Most of them, most of the of the companies are French companies, so they are more, let's say, comfortable with Morocco. But we can see as well that a lot of English companies, U.S. companies, Asian companies, Indian companies are looking at Morocco as a first gate um, to Africa. So, uh, fr from my experience, it will be always uh, an attractive country. And they have a large hospitality sectors, which brings a lot of business players in, in that sectors in Morocco. Um, talking about Egypt, um, I see that there is a lot of new developments. And for sure, it is one of the country that I will suggest to look after for the next years. Nabil, do you have any insights? Yeah, I, I think I think I think uh, you see a country like Morocco and Egypt who have no, not the size of the natural resources Libya and Algeria have, uh, and like by the way in the in the past also Tunisia have been always doing everything to attract uh, investors uh, for you know for to diversify their the economic you know activities, and I think. Uh, if you look at the ranking in terms of index, in terms of uh, investment, uh, let's say friendly uh, laws, 
you will find Morocco in a good shape. You will find Egypt in a good shape. Probably not now for Algeria because everything is uh, uh, is complicated. There were a lot of obstacles, so they changed the laws. You know, partnership, uh, the 51, 49 percent are progressing up. They are far away from this. I think Tunisia did it in the past. Unfortunately, they are not in the best shape now. And uh, yes, we, we see this, but there is more to do, of course. And as Hakim uh, said, I think this is where we as, as bank and uh, trade financier in the continent, I think there's one thing we always monitor uh, when it comes to uh, taking exposure and risk like an investor does is to look at the, of course, the uh, development of the FX reserves, because we have a centralized system, even if the law looks good, that, for example, dividends can be repatriated. However, you have always an eye on the central bank and how they allocate the FX, uh, let's say, surplus they have for for this type of transfer. So, but I think I think I think Hakim is, is you know is right in saying yes, Egypt, Morocco is fine. However, could be do we could do more. But they are a good example of attracting uh, investments in the country, not only in terms of hospitalities, etc. I mean, yes. Go ahead, Hakim, please. Sorry, Shane. And just about the foreign exchange control regulation, we have, it's true, we have a strict uh, control regulation, uh, foreign exchange control regulation in Algeria. But it doesn't mean that in Morocco, for example, it's as simple as it seems to be. No, it's uh, true. Uh, yeah, there, there, there is a process to go through. Yeah. And even if it's, let's say, more friendly, more investor friendly, uh, still, you, you have challenges to, to take into account. Um, so. I mean, one of the things that we know is that politics and security obviously have a, a great effect on, on perception um, in, in the investor climate and those kinds of things and, and the attractiveness. Um, going through the region, you know, we have situations where there's declining security or there's instability within government. So how will the economies in, in, the, in, in North Africa look to try and show that they're more resilient and express their resilience and, and try to seek to alleviate or, or allay the, the concerns that maybe an investor might have? I look at Egypt, where you both have mentioned that it's an attractive destination. There are not only concerns on an economic level, but there are concerns in terms of potential issues with, with you know security. And then you have obviously Libya being the most clear example of, of if you're going to invest, you know, what you have to take into consideration the security concerns on the ground as well. So maybe what would you say about that in terms of what they're doing, what they could do, um, what have we seen maybe that's been promising in the last few months as well? Uh, th I think it, it, it applies probably to the whole continent. I think it's a chicken in the egg where you have political stability, you have economic stability and the reversed. You can only ensure to have a political stability and social stability, especially in countries that are depending really on their fix. I think um, there is here a, a, an issue and sometimes you need a help from a third party. So, however, if they go together all from, from, from Casablanca to Suez, uh, to the Suez Canal and bring all the air force and resource together, I think they will achieve this uh, or say to achieve to to solve the uh, uh, the obstacles they have because we are currently seeing a situation. If I look at Egypt currently, the challenges they are facing, uh, Algeria is lucky to have a high gas price 
and lucky. I'm not saying they are lucky to have this conflict, but however, it is helping them uh, to do so. Tunisia is suffering a little bit, not more, a little bit. If you look at the CDS currently in Tunisia, they are about 3,000%, means that the probability of defaults is 30%, which is bad. Uh, Morocco, of course, needs some reforms. They are also uh, struggling because of also indirectly from the climate change or the agri agriculture is, is suffering. But I think uh, with the implementation of the right reforms, which should be adapted to each country, they will achieve to probably uh, to have a more efficient uh, economy in order to absorb the demand, everyday's demand due to the demography, especially in countries like Egypt and Algeria. And it will come also in, in Libya, not only rely on the, on the uh, natural resources they export. Because if you have a technology, a technological revolution that, that tells you <laughs> oil and gas bye-bye, then we'll have a big problem here. So I think I think I think they are working and and I trust um the uh, the governments are aware of the challenges they have and uh, therefore and, and and I think also which is important uh thing to 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 consider is the stability of North Africa is really important to Europe as well. It's not about immigrations, it's also about conflict. So if you ensure stability in North Africa, then you have also indirectly a safer sort of Europe at, uh, at least. And I think this has to be considered from, from, from all the players in, in North Africa. Go ahead, Hakim, do you have anything to add? No, I uh, thank you very much, Nabil. And I hope the decision maker in those countries uh, are listening to us today because Collaboration between the five, let's say, countries of North Africa is key, actually, uh, to have a, a stable environment. And, and I hope that those geopolitical issues that um, they have faced recently, especially between Algeria, Morocco, Tunisia, and, and Spain, by consequence, uh, will, um, will have a very positive outcome for everyone. And, uh, we, we all see that together we can go further, okay? Uh, there is a proverb in Africa that saying that alone you go fast and, and together you go further. And I hope that the decision maker will understand that. And as for the World Cup, when all the Arab countries were behind Morocco, okay, uh, we will do the same for business and economy in the region. And, and talking about the, the security in the region, and how, let's say now on the investor side, how do they feel about that or how um, should they analyze that? I would say just, just observe the countries, just observe the international companies that has been in those countries uh, without leaving them actually, when it was worse, I would say than today. You know, for example, in Algeria during the 10, 10 days um, terrorist war in Algeria. You have very big companies that stayed in the country uh, and are still there and are still doing good business with the country. So in Libya, it's the same. So there is up and down in the history of countries. And for new investors that doesn't know uh, North Africa very well, I, I just suggest to look at the international companies that are acting there and that are and that are willing to act more there and to see the new players coming as well, which is all positive signs.
for the development of the region and generally for the development of Africa. And by consequence, for the development of the investors that are, let's say, I, I don't want to use brave, but I don't have any other word to say that, but brave to, to go and explore the opportunities that the continent uh, offers. Okay, because at the beginning I was saying that one of the considerations that you, you have to take into account is that is a challenging market. Um, African market is very different from other markets and, and challenges are part of the, the journey. So you have to deal with it. Um, I've, I've had a little smirk on my face because one of the questions that's come up is one that I kind of anticipated, but I would present to you both. Um, the question is, how does the issue of Western Sahara complicate regional dynamics, specifically between Morocco and Algeria? And I think here, we've had a discussion about this in the past. I don't think everyone understands how it does and what the, what the, the background is and how it might impact things in the future. So you both could give your, your opinion on that in terms of, of geopolitics or its economics, whatever it might be. I came, I would sacrifice myself. <laughs> yeah, first of all, first of all, first of all, I, I, I refuse to give a, of course, in the name of the bank, any statement on this. This is a political issue that is now, uh, I mean, uh, it's, 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 it's always, you know, uh, refraining from having two countries which have the same history, which have the same culture, I said, and coming together, also economically, it's a pity. Um, I think these are issues they can be solved in a way or another. However, um, I, I think in the future we will see the things differently. I'm sorry to compare this to the, you, you have also the same in Europe. You have had this in the former Yugoslavia, which, which was worse even. You had the uh, you have Ireland as as as, as a conflict. Uh, I think I think this is something which for because what what makes me a little bit uh, trusting in the future is that uh, populations uh, know and 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 even business people uh, are aware that this is an obstacle to have the proper exchanges between, you know, we used to have in Algeria 300,000 workers from Morocco and they were really providing with good services. And there are, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of, let's say, could be a lot of synergies between, between both countries. And I think, I hope that this, let's say, conflict uh, will disappear and uh, uh, probably everyone comes to the reason and in the interest of the, or let's say of the of the of the of the of the security of all countries there in the region and also in the interest of the populations because uh every Algerian loves Morocco and <laughs> every Moroccan Algerian so it's not a it's not a it's not a conflict at all it's just a, a thing that is now uh, uh with us uh since the 70s it has to be solved but again it, it's not an obstacle uh, to bring one day uh, Morocco and Algeria together. As Hakim said, uh, if if we had to apply the same principle as in the in the Qatar World Championship, it would be paradise there, and I hope it will happen someday. That's my personal opinion. It's not an obstacle again for the economic development of the, both countries, but it is stopping this. Uh, and I, I'm sure if we had open uh, borders currently between Algeria and Morocco, I think both countries will uh, get into a win-win position. And this is my opinion. 
Hakim. Thank you, Nabil. Um, yeah, no, no um, I agree with what you said. And um, and from my personal point of view, yes, collaboration is key in that, uh, in that let's say, I, I don't want to, to, to call it conflict uh, because it's, a, it's an interesting True, yeah. Task. yeah. Because I think people, <laughs> I think we need to do some lobbying thanks to the entrepreneurs of both countries to solve this uh, issue, let's say, this question of the Western Sahara. As soon as it is a political thing, it will not be solved, uh, unfortunately. So we have to bring people, you know, because Moroccan people, Algerian people, they don't have any issues together. Entrepreneurs in Morocco, Moroccan entrepreneurs and more, uh, Algerian entrepreneurs, they don't have any issue. Uh, personally, I don't have any issue. You know, my children are half, half. Uh, yeah. And from the Western, let's say from the, from, from the, from, from the South of Morocco. So I, I'm 100% concerned about this question. Um, but hopefully uh, it, it will come to an end. And the, the outcome will be the two countries to work together uh, to sort that without any third party, I think. This is my position. Thank you. Thank you both for that and, and being candid on that. Going back to a more specific question, um, one of the uh, uh, audience members put the question forward How open is the insurance sector in Algeria for foreign private capital? Uh, if I may respond to this question, I think it's an interesting one. Uh, you see, uh, political risk insurance is, of course, needed for some countries uh, to cover mainly exporters or investors uh, for their investment. Uh, there are two ways, uh, of course, because if you look at the political risk insurance, you have, of course, agreements uh, between governments in order for the protection of the investments of mutual investments. Uh, if you take I take the example, for example, uh, Germany with Algeria or France with Egypt, so they make sure that the uh, uh, political risks and political risk means uh, transfer and uh, con you know and converting uh, the effects so that they make sure they can transfer. Uh, the dividends uh, or whatever uh, from the country. Any investment, they can transfer back uh, the investment uh, and transform them into um, their, their local country. So uh, the country, I think, save Libya, who is facing now because there's a lack of agreement, uh, only the only specific probably uh, agreement in the oil sector, but for all countries, uh, in terms of investment, there are some a lot of agreements or multilateral agreements with the uh, uh, with Europe, for example, and in the US. Uh, and you have also instruments like MIGA, who is covering also uh, indirect investment. In terms of transactions, uh, let's say if you look at the gen comprehensive insurance, not only political, it's not political risk insurance, but also commercial risk. So you use the OECD. Uh, table and you have a look, if you look at the ECAs, for example, for the export credit agencies, so they cover all these countries, of course, uh, this is depending on the rating they are going to allocate to each country, with, of course, with, uh, and they will correlate this with the premium, but there are several ways uh, to cover the risks, as I said, either with uh, 
political agreements, uh, bilateral agreements between countries when it comes to investments, but also via export credit agencies that covers uh, short-term, but also long-term uh, uh, transaction when I talk about projects, for example, refinery or power plant, or if it comes to letter of credit, it's just simple as that. So they are useful sometimes, but not always, because sometimes uh, if you take a bank like us, like BACB, we, uh, when it comes to confirmation of letter of credit, uh, we do it for, for, for Mauritania, for example, for a certain price or for uh, whatever for, for 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 Egypt for a certain price, and then you need to compare: is it better to take a cover against political risk, which costs money, or just use this instrument to mitigate risk? So there are several ways to do this. Yes, maybe if I can add something on the on the legal side for the insurance sector specifically, if you want to invest in the insurance sectors in in, in Algeria. It's a, it's a, it is a strictly regulated sector, as you know, so I will not go through all the conditions, uh, but it's possible uh, if, I, if it answers the question. So there were a number of questions, I'm conscious of time, uh, talking about energy in the sense of green energy and, and the pivot that maybe the region is, is going towards. Um, I think picking one of them out, how can countries on the continent navigate energy transition in a way that does not economically disadvantage them in comparison to the Western countries who have fully enjoyed the benefit of high carbon energy? The response is included in the question. <laughs> it's a rhetoric question. I think there is a, uh, not saying arrogancy, but I mean, if you had the chance to develop your industry during the last 150 years, and then uh, transferring your, let's say, having a, gained the knowledge in order to, let's say, reallocate uh, the transformation of, uh, I'll call it primary energy into secondary energy in a cleaner way, while the other countries that don't even have access to power, I think we need to be very careful here in not imposing this green approach uh, suddenly to countries who cannot afford to, to, let's say, to finance or to, 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 to implement uh, this green energy. I think you have to adapt it to each country. Um, there's a danger here that uh, after 150 years at once, uh, let's say the Western country are imposing uh, their, 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 let's say, they, they, because of the climate change, we are all aware of this, ESG as well. It's, I think it's important to make this aware, but there is a need also to, to help the countries who haven't got access first to the knowledge, to the resources, to implement uh, this approach in having a, 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 a clean energy. So it you, you can do it in countries like Egypt who can afford this, or Algeria, for example, when we have this hybrid, uh, now slow down, or Morocco, for example, for the wind energy is a big example of how to deal with the, uh, with the new clean energies. However, I would be careful um, I'm not talking about North Africa sp specifically, but uh, talking about uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, where really their priorities sometimes are somewhere else than uh, implementing a green energy approach. Unfortunately, this is the reality. Well, uh, thank you. I think I will hand over to the Invest Africa team. Uh, thank you, Nabil and Hakim.
You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Right, well, that, uh, that brings us to the end of the webinar. Uh, on behalf of Invest Africa, I would just like to say a massive thank you to uh, Hakeem and Nabil for a really interesting conversation. I'm sure the audience found it very insightful. And of course, to Shaheen uh, for moderating the session so brilliantly. So thank you all. And then, of course, a thank you to all our attendants today. The Q&A uh, chat was very busy. So thank you very much for all your involvement. Final thank you to the panel and Shaheen. Hello.